You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Lan Carrier, and this is The Fabulous Invalid. Fabulous Invalid, a Broadway-centric podcast where we take an in-depth look at the theater through interviews with actors, directors, writers, designers, and everyone in between. I'm Jamie Dumont, recovering Broadway marketer, personal chef, and event planner. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with StageLeft.NYC. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Good, good. We're back at Orso. That we are. Can you hear the buzz in the room? I can. I'm here. Yeah, hopefully our listeners can, though. That's, that's, that's the real mark. I think that's, I think we've that's what I meant. That's right. Well, we haven't been uh, at Orso since the summer when we recorded with William Ivy Long. I know, and, and now it's like fully fall. I'm wearing a sweater. You are wearing a turtleneck. It's a mock. It's a mock. It's you a do, mock turtle. You like a turtleneck. I love a turtleneck. Tis the season. That it is. Tis the season. Well, not everyone can wear a turtleneck. You can wear a turtleneck. It's not for everyone. You no, have to have well, a certain you. neck or face or I don't know what it is. A certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, I put a turtleneck on and it doesn't work. Really? But, oh, yeah. Interesting. You interesting. will never see me in a turtleneck. Yeah, it, it must be my swan-like neck. I'm sh- it's your you know, swan-like neck. I think neck. people are always stopping me on the street to point out my swan-like, swan-like neck. neck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's not going away anytime soon, <laughs> by the way. Well, <sighs> well tonight. Yes. You, your swan-like neck, yes. myself, yes. we are joined by Len Cariou, yes. star of stage and screen. And screen, all the screens, big all and screen. small. I, I, I was so delighted to read. I knew he was on this CBS show called Blue Bloods, yeah. but I've never seen it. I don't yeah, watch I a lot either. of network yeah. television. And I was so happy to learn he's been on it for a decade or nearly a decade. Wow. That's yeah. a great gig. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every, everybody wants a, a TV gig. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I feel like Jerry Orbach is sort of the, the brass ring yes. of, of theater actors like who get crossover. that gig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, Angela Lansbury didn't do bad. Oh, didn't you know, do too that's poorly probably, for herself yeah, either. That's, that's you know? oh, and Len, for that matter. Yeah, there you um, go. But most people know him as his starring roles in A Little Night Music, Applause, and... Sweeney Todd. Which is, I think... Is that your favorite musical? I don't know if it's my favorite musical because that's like picking, you know, your favorite child, which you always say every parent, of course, has a favorite child. <laughs> oh, th- I know that for a fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it was certainly if I had to pick a top three, it would be in it. Yeah, but you, you, know, you I like also, to stretch the rules by making it a top three or a top five or a top yeah. 50. You know? Well, I don't, you know, I, we have this conversation a lot because I always put you on the spot to tell you me your favorite anything. You love a I list. I love a list. Yeah. But I do think that lists should be three, fives, tens. Yeah, like it's not, you right? can't just, because you can't just pick one, one thing. Of course not, yeah. Not when the field is musicals. I mean, however, where to begin? I do think everyone agrees Sweeney Todd is a masterpiece. Yes. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I would, I would fight anyone who says otherwise. Wow. Yeah, I'd take out my switchblade and my swan-like neck. And do you, do you have a switchblade on you now? Are you ready to rumble? Can't confirm or deny. Okay. I think that's a, that's a weapon, right? It's like you have to, like, license your, yeah. your switchblade. You shouldn't be carrying a switchblade, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> I'm just getting ready for West Side Story. Oh, there you go. It's I knew that was coming. Coming soon. Coming soon. Something's well, coming. Something's, something's, something's coming. coming. Yes. Well, speaking of something coming, yes. I think we should uh, sit down with Len. Perfect. Let's do it. Thank you. 
With an illustrious career that spans six decades, starting with the production of Mr. Roberts in Canada, then going on to create Tony Award-nominated roles in Applause and A Little Night Music, and winning both the Drama Desk and the Tony Award for his portrayal of the title character in Sweeney Todd, Stephen Sondheim's groundbreaking musical of the same name, he's no stranger to film and television, he can currently be seen on CBS's hit show, Blue Bloods. We are delighted to welcome Len Carriou to The Fabulous Invalid. Yeah, before we dig into all the shows of the past, um, we're interested to hear about the show you're currently working on, which is titled Harry Townsend's Last Stand. We'll be playing at New York City Center Stage 2. And you just said you had your first rehearsal today, is that right? Today is this afternoon. Yeah, so uh, what's the play about? Uh, it's a father-son play about an 85-year-old guy who's probably shouldn't be living alone anymore. And his son is trying to talk him into going into a, a retirement home. And uh, that's basically what it's about. And he doesn't want to go because he built the house that he's living in, he and his wife. And, and the memories of his life are all there. And he doesn't want to go. But well, that's all I'll tell you. Okay, and the son is played by Craig Bierko. Right. Correct. And is it a two-character play? Yeah. Or? Okay. Two characters. Just father-son deal. It's a very funny play. Very poignant play. I can imagine. I mean, it, it, it dramatizes a scenario that is so common, yeah. and yet something that you, you don't really see often reflected on film and television or on stage. No, exactly. And I think that's... I think the man has written, George Eastman is the writer. He wrote a wonderful play, I think. And it was, of course, you know, something that he, he went through uh, with, a, with a, a loved one of his. And he wrote about it. And brilliantly, I think. And very, very carefully. Uh, and very sensitively about it. And uh, I don't think it's going to be a revelation, but it's going to hit home to a lot of people because... Everybody's going to go through this. If they haven't already, they will in the very near future, probably. Right. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, an insightful look at that. Right. As you explained the, the plot, I'm thinking of my own grandparents. Who, right, there you go. They live together down in Florida, and yeah. they have eight children. Mm -hmm. And one by one, everybody's been going down there to keep an, eye on, keep and, an eye on them. And, and uh, you know, to slowly try to convince them that they need help. Yeah, because that's a hard thing for someone to hear, right? And to process, yeah, sure. you know. Because independence is right. everything, right? You know, and and as much as as you want your independence, you know you're screwing up all the time, and you keep doing things wrong, and you and you know you could, and your kids are going, oh, for God's sake, give us a break. And my guy Harry Townsend is. Fierce. He, he was in this business that we're, to, we're in now. He was a radio announcer uh, in the Hudson Valley and uh, had a you know had a really good life. Didn't get he got married late in life. Uh, he was in his late thirties, early forties when he had twin kids, a girl and a boy, and his son hasn't been to see him in a year and a half almost. And so he's a little pissed off at him about that. Uh, and his his twin sister has been caring for him, and she now she has to do it every day because you can't, you know, I'm just not capable of. So uh, he say he's saying, well, we got to get him into a home of some kind, and I'm fighting tooth and nail not to go. It's your last stand. Yeah. <laughs> Could be that too. Could right. Harry Towns' last dance. <laughs> when does the play open? It opens in about in December four, I think, is our opening, and uh, we go into rehearsal. We're in rehearsal. Just started today. We preview in three weeks, um, and we're uh, you know we, we have a couple of weeks of previews, I think, and then we open. And then you open. It's a short rehearsal period. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's quick. Is it a Tell one act or is it? A, is it? <laughs> no, it's a two act. It's a two act, and wow. the director is uh, Karen, Karen Carpenter. Carpenter. Right, yeah. okay. that's uh, terrific. She's a great director. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's fun. And she has a great insight into this piece. I think. Does she? Uh, she she spoke. She spoke today before we started the reading, and uh, and she 
she's going through this a bit with her mother. Yeah. At the time. So it's very close to home to her, too. And she's done an awful lot of comedy, directed an awful lot of comedy, and knows the genre really well. Um, and we're in great hands there. So... Uh, uh, I've, I've been uh, I've done about four different readings of it over the last couple of years uh, trying to raise money to get it to get it on the stage and we finally managed to do that um, so uh, onward and upward is yeah, it's exciting yeah at uh, this point in your career you've probably performed in every venue imaginable uh, and this theater is a is a black box theater it's a really yeah. it's a really small you know in, intimate space which yeah. seems fitting for such an intimate story um, do you like performing in in such a yeah. small theater I have done many times yeah I did Papa which when I played Hemingway we were in the the, the Douglas Fairbanks theater which is a little That's theater right. mm -hmm. when we did Broadway in the Bard we were in the Lion Theater on, right. on Theater, Row, Theater Row, which is a 90-seat house. Yeah. Um, and I've done the tour of Broadway and the Bard in small houses like that. And we just did one this summer uh, in a little bigger houses, and yeah. like houses the size of, of the theater we're going to be in now. So, yeah, I'm familiar with that with that. Set up. Intimacy. Yeah, intimacy, exactly, yeah. yeah. When I was, I was saying to Jamie the other night that one of the gifts of New York, uh, you know, the vast array of theatrical productions that are being performed is that you can see actors like you and mm. Craig Bierko performing in a black box theater under yeah. City Center in a great new play, you know, mm -hmm. any night of the week. And it's just something that we take for granted, you know, living here, that right. there's such talent. Uh, and you can have that intimate experience, uh, which is, you know, pretty special. And there's so much theater beyond Broadway. Right. Right. There's, oh, yeah. there's great theater all over New York City. And mm -hmm. all you have to do is just look for it. Yeah. But, should we hop in the time machine? Yeah, we should. I think speaking of, <laughs> speaking of Broadway... Um, one of the first musicals that you did was originally titled Welcome to the Theater, which was then changed uh, to Applause. Right. Um, and it was, I believe, 1969, 1970. Right. And it was uh, a musical that starred you and Lauren Bacall. Mm -hmm. It was a fairly modern sounding score. Yeah. The title song was set in a discotheque. And no, was, yeah. Right? I, I believe there was... There Actually, it was in Next Door. Oh, it was. Joe Allen. Joe Allen. Oh, it That's was. Right. Well, there is yeah. a scene in a discotheque, I, th I believe, at some well, point. No? Am I, make, am, I, am, I, am I making that up? I might yeah, be. Yeah, you are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but my point is, and there was, a, there was a gay character, which was, you know, unusual for the time in a big, wow. big Broadway musical. And I'm just wondering, do you have any, what are your remembrances of that piece, of that, that modern, popular musical? That was one of your first musical. My first, I'm... yeah, the first Broadway musical. I had just done Henry V at Stratford, Connecticut, in the in the fall of '69, and in the spring of '70, I did Applause, um, and it's based on All About Eve, the right. film All About Eve, um, and yet yeah, it, it challenged uh, a couple of things. You're, you're right. It was uh, Leroy Reams played. Uh, Miss Bacall's dresser, uh, flamboyant as could be, um, still is too, thank God. <laughs> um, so that's a, a great relationship that I've had for ever since then. He and Penny Fuller um, were in that piece with us. And it was, you know, you, you, it's the kind of thing where you, um, Having just done Shakespeare, uh, I I came into the thing and I, and I knew the movie obviously, and the score I thought was really good, um, and I thought, well, this this probably will be a hit because um, it's a really good story. You know, it's got a good book, uh, and and I think the music's really good, and I I don't think we can miss really. Uh, and but Betty Bacall, of course, was what are you nuts? <laughs> and she was terribly nervous because this thing was clearly right on her back. Right. And uh, she was terribly anxious about it. Uh, and uh, 
But I said, you, you needn't be. I said, I think it's going to be fine. And of course, she doesn't have much of a voice at all. And she said, I'm in a musical and I'm dancing. And she said, I haven't danced for about 30 years. <laughs> and I'm in a fucking musical. What am I, out of my mind? Um, and I said, well, yeah, yeah, you probably are out of your mind. Uh, I said, but we all are anyway in this business. So um, just take that with a grain of salt and, you know, do your job. And uh, sure enough, she did. She just banged, won the Tony. It was a huge sensation, that show. And, and she was a real toast of the town. Like, it was yeah. a real boon to her career. Oh, yeah, And a real absolutely. surprise, as you said, she wasn't known as a singer and dancer, and right. yet, you know, there she was, eight shows a week, right. knocking them dead. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel rotten, you're covered with roses, younger than springtime and older than Moses, frisky as a lamb, la, la, la. lazy as a clown, la, la, la. crazy, but I am a Was it intimidating to step into a role opposite such a luminary as Lauren Bacall at the time? No. <laughs> um, no, I was my own luminary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the kind of, you know, I came to this thing with a ton of experience even in musicals, I hadn't done one in a long time, but I'd, I'd been raised on musicals and Shakespeare. Mm. And so I was, everybody kind of went, wow, where's this guy been? <laughs> and I was, you know, having a career and, and learning a craft in the boondocks. I was at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, the Stratford, Connecticut, uh, Stratford, Connecticut and Stratford, Ontario <laughs> Shakespeare festivals. So I had, I had a lot of, Ammunition. Yeah. Well. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I was supremely confident that if you know if if I if they gave me a good song to sing, I might do all right. I don't want to go, but planes come back, you know. Think how it's gonna be. Nothing but you and me. Think how it's gonna be. When we're together again. Well, she turned to you for confidence. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I think she did. I think I, I think I was kind of the rock that she went, oh, okay. Well, we lost um, legendary director and producer Hal Prince just yeah. recently. And um, you obviously worked with him on multiple occasions. Um, what reflections do you have on his legacy and on working with him? Well, he, he's the history of the American musical theater um, as a producer and, and director and stage manager. I mean, he started, you know, at the very bottom of the ladder, if you will and worked his way up and became one of the great entrepreneurs of, of, all, of theater history, certainly Broadway history. Um, and he will, he will never have an equal. Um, he, there's a nice, there's a fun story. When we did applause, when we did the run through, the, the gypsy run through of applause, uh, at the Schubert Theater. A gypsy run through, so anybody who doesn't know, is, is all the gypsies that are working on Broadway. You have a gypsy run through just for them. Uh, and it's on a bare stage with, uh, with a piano. And you're off book, you're, you know, you're ready to go out of town. It's the last thing you do before you go out of town. And I had never done that before, and so this was a newbie, I was a newbie there. And we did the run-through, and after, the tradition is after it's over, then they come up on the stage. The audience, the guys who want to come up, can come up on the stage and say hello to you. And um, I was uh, 
So I, I, I didn't realize this, and, and I said, what's going on here? And uh, Leroy said to me, it's relaxed, just stand there, just take, just take it all in. And I went, okay, so I, now they got me boxed into a corner saying, wow, that was really terrific. And this guy leans in and he shakes my hand and he says, you're the best leading man I've seen in a long time. I hope we work together one day. And he turns around and walks away. And I went, oh, thanks. And our director, Ron Field, came running over to me and says, what did Hal say? And I said, Hal who? And he went, come on. <laughs> Hal Prince, you asshole. And I said, I don't know who the man is. I've never met him. He said, the guy with the glasses on the top of you. I said, oh, you really want to know what he said? <laughs> and I told him, and he went, wow, that's something. That's something. And he was as good as his word. So that was nice. Because yeah. very shortly thereafter, you went to work with Hal on a little night music. Yeah. Which is... Uh, which well, was actually, it was, five, it was four years. Four years. 74. Um, and I was at the Guthrie, and, and, he, uh, and he wanted to... He sent me um, the script that he had, which was Hugh Wheeler's book. And... Uh, but there were no lyrics in it or anything at that point. And uh, he said, oh, we want you to come in and uh, audition for the role of Carl Magnus. Um, and I read the piece of it. Boy, it's a really lovely book. It read like an ennui play. It had a really wonderful book. And I said, well, Carl Magnus, I've played Carl Magnus about 40 different times at this point <laughs> in my life. And I don't need to pay Carl Magnus anymore, but I'm not going to miss a chance to sing for Sondheim. So I had three or four days off, because we were in rep at the Guthrie. I had three or four days off, and I, and I came here, and, uh, and, we, uh, and we met with Hal and Steve, and I sang for him. And he said... Um, we have a new script now with some lyrics in it. We want you to take it home and read it, and we'll talk tomorrow. And I went, oh, okay. So I took it home and read, and I read it, and the lyrics. Frederick's opening song. Now as the sweet imbecilities tumble so lavishly onto her lap, now there are two possibilities. A, I could ravish her. B, I could nap. <laughs> and you go... Are you kidding me? Say it's the ravishment, then we know the problem that follows, of course. A, the deployment of charm, or B, the adoption of physical force. I mean, it just goes on like that. Uh, and you go, oh, that's, it's, the guy's brilliant. He's just, he's brilliant. Now, as the sweet imbecilities tumble so lavishly onto her lap. Oh, Frederick, what a day it's been. An ending drama. While Pedro's Now, first... there are two possibilities. A, I could ravish her. B, I could nap. That grumpy old Miss Nordstrom from next door. Her sister's coming for a visit. Say, it's the ravishment. Then we see the option that follows, of course. Do hope I'm imperious enough for the servants. I try to be, but half the time I think they laugh. A, the deployment of charm. Or B, the adoption of physical force. And now you're jabbering on now for hours. Now be my but if I assume I trip on my trouser, they cross in the room. I can't tell you how boring it was. I her hair getting tangled, her stays getting snapped. My nerves would be jangled, my energy sapped. You should have seen Mrs. Erling in the fishmonger. Removing her clothing would take me all day, and her subsequent clothing would turn me away. Which eliminates B, and which leaves us with A. So Hal calls me and says, did you read it? I said, yeah, I did. I said, and I said, the lyrics are just priceless um, and he said yeah well uh, and I said I said Frederick's opening song is just a riot and he said yeah well that's what we want you to play <laughs> what we want you to play Frederick not Carl Magnus 
Now, insofar as approaching it, what would be festive but have its effect? Shall I learn Italian? I think it'd be amusing if the verbs aren't too irregular. Now, there are two ways of broaching it. A, the suggestive, and B, the direct. But then French is a much cheaper language. Everyone says so. Say that I settle on B to wit a charmingly lecherous mood. I know you like my hair this way, but on top of my head, like a siren. A, I could put on my nightshirt or sit disarmingly B in the nude. Oh, Frederick, you should have seen that the great arrival. My body's all right, but not in perspective and not in the light. Poor Henrik, how comical I'm bound to be chilly and feel a buffoon, but nightshirts are silly in mid-afternoon. I said, hell, uh, the guy's... Ten years my senior, according to him. And he said, don't worry about it. They'll never know. It's a period piece. <laughs> don't, even, don't even worry about it. <laughs> when now I still want and love Now as always Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you must have known reading the lyrics to that song and having read the play that you said was quite good that you were about to embark on something very special. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I went... So I went back to the Guthrie, floating on air. <laughs> and I was doing Oedipus at the Guthrie. And we were in rehearsal. I went home to the Guthrie, and I walked into the Michael Langham, who was our artistic director. And I said, Michael... I got some news. I said, I've been offered this role in a little night music, Sondheim musical, How Prince is Directing. And he said, okay, wonderful. He said, when? And I said, well, it happens in, we go into rehearsal in November. And this was late September, early October. We were about to open, or maybe early September, uh, we were about to open Oedipus. And he said, well, you can't do it. And I said, why? And he said, what you're saying is that you would open Oedipus the King, and after it opened, you would put the company back into rehearsal for your replacement. And he said, you can't do that. You're an associate artistic director of this theater. And I said, yeah, you're right, I can't. So I called Hal and I said, I can't do this. And Hal said, boy, I hope they know what they've got in you over there. Because I don't think anybody's ever said that to me before. And I said, I'm really sorry. And I said, hopefully it'll happen. So about a month and a half went by, maybe a month went by. And my agent called me and said, are you sitting down? Because they're rescheduled their, and it's not gonna start rehearsing until December. Oh, wow. And they want you to, wondering if you'd be available then. So I went, wow. So I go back into the office and I said, Michael, this is, and he said, well, 
if you can work it out with uh, scheduling. So I go to the company manager and he said, we have to do this play at least four times a week because everything was dropping. Other plays were dropping out of the rep and there were only going to be three plays in the rep instead of five. And I said, is there any way we can glom them together like on a weekend maybe? And I am because of this offer that I've got. <laughs> and he made up this schedule that I thought, this is ridiculous. And I said, but here it is. And I called my agent and hey, he said, let's just send it to Hal, see what he says. And he said, yeah, I can live with that. So I commuted from Minneapolis to New York and I left first, first thing Monday morning, got off the plane, went into rehearsal downtown. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday afternoon, I left. I gained an hour going back. Got off the plane in Minneapolis, went directly to the theater, got into makeup, and played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and went back. And I did that for a month. Darling, perhaps a change of pace. A weekend in the country would be charming, and the air would be fresh. A weekend with that woman in the country, in the flesh. I've some business with her mother. Just a weekend in the country, smelling jasmine. Watching little things grow. A weekend in the country. My darling will simply say no. Never missed a rehearsal, never missed a performance. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, I, I love telling that story. Oh, my gosh. I feel like tr at, the, at that point, Airplane travel was a little more reliable. Like I don't know if you of could pull that. I don't know if you could pull that off today. And in the dead of winter, between yeah. Minneapolis and right. New York, never yeah. snowed out. Nothing. You That's had an angel on your wings uh, during that. And boy, was it time. all worth it! Aren't we? Aren't we glad that 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 all worked out? Do you know? Did they hold the rehearsal schedule for Night Music until December for you, or did it just? Uh, was I don't it know. just a I, twist I love of fate? To think that's yeah. what did. <laughs> we can remember it that way. Yes, no. exactly. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. He served a dark and eventful God. He served a dark and eventful God. What happened then? Well, that's the play, and he wouldn't want us to give it away. Not Sweeney. Not Sweeney Todd. But even on the street. Hal Prince has said multiple times that whenever he would begin work on a new show, Sondheim would send him the songs or he'd play them for him. And he'd be like, I have no idea what that is, but I trust that it's going to be great. And then, you know, lo and behold, by the time you got to rehearsal and you know, there was an orchestra and everything, it all came together. Do you remember your first impressions of hearing the music versus the lyrics? Well, I had a very, it was very special. They were going to go into rehearsal in December. And I had a, a film to do in Canada. And they wouldn't give me a stop date for the film. So I was going to miss the first week where the principals are with the composer and the conductor. Mm. And then the company joins. And I said, I, they won't give me a, a, a stop date. So I'm going to miss that week. So do you think Steve could give me the music so that I'm not behind the eight ball when I arrive? And he said, I'll ask him. Steve said yes. And I went, into, uh, went to his house to hear the songs for the first time that he had already written. And... Uh, sat down at the piano and I'm going to I've told this story before I'm going to tell it again and he was nervous he was distracted and I thought he's nervous 
I'm the one that's supposed to be nervous. And he excused himself, and he left the room, came back with a joint. <laughs> Lights it up. What am I going to say? No. So we have a couple of tokes. And he says, okay, that's better. Now, do you know the Catholic Mass for the Dead? And I said, Steve, French-Irish Catholic boy. And he said, right. He said, listen to this. And he went, going on piano. And he went, I said, I don't get it. He said, that's Diezire backwards. Attend the tale of Sweeney Tom. I said, oh, you're sick, aren't you? <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah. And then he, then he, he so he played that. He'd written that, the, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. And uh, I think... Uh, I think these are my friends. I think he'd written, he'd penned it already. And he had written A Little Priest. And he handed me this thing that looked like a telephone book. <laughs> and I said, what is this? He said, it's the finale to act one. And I started to laugh when I saw the lyrics. And he looked at me and he said, it gets better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's right. I mean, that song builds, right? I mean, it's so masterful. The humor in those lyrics. Few people could pull it off, and probably only he could. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's a genius work, Sweeney Todd. It really is. Uh, and, you know, it's a huge, huge gamble on both their parts, on Sondheim's part and on and on uh, Prince's part to be putting that kind of a musical on the stage in New York. I mean, you know, who'd ever done anything like that before? I, when they sent it to me and I read it, I said, they've lost their minds. And yet you had no hesitation about working with them again and playing that part, correct? No. Or did, no, none at all. No, the only thing was, you know, are they going to get it? Right. Are they going to get it? What was and that? after the first preview, I saw him backstage and he said, they understood it. They actually understood it. Was that Hal? No, oh, that Steve. Steve. Steve, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it's amazing because, you know, I think people forget that um, that show, probably because of the set design, the immensity of it, did not have a, a pre-Broadway tryout. Mm. Right, I think it was the first Sondheim musical that didn't actually play right. out of town. Because so, of the set. Right. Yes. So it opened cold in New York. So you really, in what, February 1979, right. you had no idea how an audience would react no. until that first paying audience showed up. Do you remember that first night other oh, than yeah. seeing Steve backstage? Oh, yeah. I mean, what was that like? It was mind-boggling. <laughs> And we were having a lot of trouble with the set. The pie shop, it made it out of steel instead of aluminum, and nobody, it would always get stuck. And because the company was wheeling it on and off, stagehands weren't doing it. Um, Must have been heavy. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Ridiculously heavy. <laughs> when we were doing the technical for it, we had never gotten to the end of the set because the thing kept breaking down. You mean you'd never gotten to the end of the, the, um, the show, show, the second yeah. act? Yeah. Wow. And I remember saying to Hal as we were, it was first preview, and we still hadn't got to the end. And he said, I've got to break you guys for dinner. And I said, how does this thing end? And he said, get out of here. <laughs> So you did the first preview without ever having performed the, the end of the show. Right. What was that like when you finally got to the end with an audience? That must have been... And it happened. And it happened. It happened. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brought it out the, and it locked in place. So we just played it 
the way it was. It always had been until finally, you know, after that, they rebuilt the thing. Right. <laughs> to the proper specs. So that, that was kind of a, an adventure. <laughs> Were you a part of the, I, I think anybody listening is aware of the fact that there's a little bit of gore in the show. Were you part of that process in terms of developing the, the, the murders that Sweeney commits and the blood and the, the knife and all of that? Was that? Were you part of that process with Hal or was it given to you and you were told to play it as written? As written. As written. Yeah. And though I'll think of you, I guess, until the day I die, I think I miss you less and less as every day goes by, Joanna. And you'd be beautiful and pale and look too much like her. If only angels could prevail, we'd be the way we were, Joanna. Wake up, Joanna, another bright red day. We learned, Joanna, to say. accident on stage um, after we realize that Toby knows what we're up to and I say well then I'm gonna have to off Toby uh, as we go looking for Toby right and we came up out of the trap door onto the bare stage meaning that we'd gone down into the, the basement and the music was, Toby, where are you? Nothing's going to harm you, not while I'm around, Toby. We're on stage, it's just Angela and I in, in spotlights. Nothing on the stage, bare stage, entire, on a rake. And I hear a strange sound. And I look up, and the bridge is starting to descend onto the stage. And I go and I walk over and I grab Angela and I take her down stage and she's looking at me. That's not in the blocking. And we keep singing and, and Gemignani, Paul Gemignani, who was the conductor, he was doing this and now he sees it and he starts conducting <laughs> to the rhythm of the thing coming up. <laughs> and it lands on the stage, crash. Ooh. Right, and we have to stop. Stop the show. Yeah. So they have to come out and hoist it take off. Take it off. Yeah. The stagehands do. Oh my gosh. And it's steel, you know, it's a steel catwalk. Yeah. I went to the stage manager. He said, Well, I think we have to go back and do it again from, you know, the same spot. So we have some continuity. And I said, Okay. So I walk out on the stage. I'm back on the wrong side of the stage and I'm going to go back down to, to the basement. But I'm taking the shortcut. I'm going to go through, take the trap door and go down. <laughs> so I walk onto the stage and I go, take two. <laughs> and we open the hatch and I go down, I go down the, the ladder. And, and we did it again. Wow. <laughs> and everybody that I ever, mostly everybody that were at that performance, it's probably about 100,000 people that were at <laughs> right, that. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Everybody has a memory of, of that Being night there. in the theater. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's like everyone saw Anyone Can Whistle, right? It had seven right. performances, but everyone saw it, right. you know? <laughs> Stepping into the title role of a musical, mm. of a new Sondheim musical, did you feel an added weight on your shoulders? Or because you had worked with everyone before and you, you know, had reached this point in your career, it was, you know... Logical. It was the next step. You felt easy stepping into yeah, this role. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do. You you just do. But I had just played King Lear. Oh, well. <laughs> and that changed everything. Um, so I I was very much ready. Right after Lear, you it. could you could conquer anything. Right? right. Yeah. What was it about playing Lear that changed everything for you? What was it about that character? Well, I was thirty-five years old playing an 85-year-old man. <laughs> and when you undertake that kind of thing, it becomes monumental, in a sense. It's just 
it changes everything in terms of experience, in terms of maturity, in terms of, uh, well, that's enough said, I think. Um, you become a different actor somehow. And if you have a good director, and Michael Langham was probably maybe the best director of Shakespeare, certainly that I ever worked with, and maybe in the world. So I was in absolutely solid, wonderful hands. And he said, you know, he, I was, the reason I played it was I was supposed to, thought I was going to do Macbeth after I did Night Music. And that was the plan. I was going to come and do Macbeth. And he changed it from Macbeth to Lear and then said, you're going to play Lear. <laughs> Time you started doing those character parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did have a, a sort of track record of playing characters that were a little older than you actually were in real life. Well, like what? Well, Frederick Edgerman, you, you, you said oh, yeah. he was a good yeah. decade, had a good decade on you. But what I'm hearing you say is that... that what you learned from your experience playing Lear helped inform your performance of Sweeney. And I had, I had said to Steve, I'll, I'm going to give you two octaves in my voice. I'll, I'll train the voice to do two octaves. So you can give me, you know, I'll, I'll... And he said, okay. And he didn't give me the two octaves, but he almost did. Um, <laughs> But he did give you, you know, a lot of people think in that score that the love song is Joanna. But we would argue that it's These Are My Friends. That, 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 that Sweeney's song to his knives are really the, is really the love song in, in, in that score. It is, but, but the thing that's, I think the most beautiful music in the score is There Was a Barber and His Wife. Mm. There was a barber and his wife and she was beautiful A foolish barber and his wife She was his reason and his life And she was beautiful And she was virtuous And he was Naive He played that for me at that day that I, I described earlier. And I wept just at the music. Not the lyrics, just the music. There was a barber and his wife. And she was beautiful. You go, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. Mm. Did you have a favorite song in the show to sing or a favorite moment that every night? That was it. That was it. That was the moment. And it was very early on, if you remember. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, but it was just... Extraordinary. The epiphany was something that that was a great, great challenge to do. And then, you know, uh, uh, Little Priest. The end of Act One was just a great thing. <laughs> Quite a way to send the audience out into the intermission. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Could you see the joy on their faces when you were performing? Oh, yeah. And you know what we used to do? There was a... You could look out on at the beginning of the show when they did the the uh, entrance, um, and the whistle went off. Mm -hmm. Watch the kids in the first two, two or three rows. They were always in the first two or three rows, right? and you go, ah! and they go, <laughs> <laughs> and they stayed like that. Yeah. <laughs> My dresser said, I used. To, he said, I watched them through this people. He said they stay like that for about a. 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so brilliant, right? Because it, it puts you on edge immediately. Right. And then that music kicks in and you're hooked. Do you think, um, you know, you've, you touched on singing There Was a Barber and His Wife, that song, which is so essential for 
setting up the backstory mm. of Sweeney. You know, without that, he's just a guy who's slitting throats, right? right. But you really get the the depth of his despair and his loss through that through that song. Similarly, do you think that there is any real love between Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney? Or is that just a symbiosis of convenience? They're using each other to yeah, absolutely. get an end. The latter. The latter. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there is, there's no real... I think she had a different... Uh, it's not reciprocal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he had... He owed her a lot. She she saved mm. the razors. Right, right. <laughs> there's a moment during Joanna in Act Two, mm. the, where there's a series of of murders, where Sweeney says, "I think I miss her less and less as every day goes by," mm-hmm. which always strikes me because his whole mission, obviously, is to seek his revenge, and as he's going about it. Suddenly, he's admitting in this song that the object of his revenge, in a way, is dulled mm. the further he goes at, you know, at trying to make that revenge. Was that, I don't really have a question here, but I knew it was just, <laughs> you know, is that a difficult sort of a, a emotion to play? that almost ambivalence towards something that no, I is think, driving the peace in a way. No, I think not. I think it was just once, once he was gone, once he was in there, mm-hmm. after the epiphany. Right. He's changed. It he didn't becomes, matter. It didn't matter to him at all. Right. Um, One man or a hundred. Or a hundred, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> It's very chilling. <laughs> it is chilling. Yeah. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. I know that you have uh, dinner with your wife after this. Yes. Um, we Lucky we do have one final question, unless there's something we didn't touch on that you wanted to ask. No, no. I, um, so our, I could talk Sweeney Todd yeah, all day. We so. could, but, but, but we don't want to hold you hostage. Um, the final question we have for you, and we ask all of our guests this, mm. was there a, a, an experience or, or something that you saw when you were younger that made you want to become an actor? Was there a thing that made you want to go into this business? No, it was really weird, actually. <laughs> I, I was an actor for over a year before I'd ever seen a play. Really? <laughs> Professionally. I'd never seen a play. I'd just been in them. Yeah. What play was that? Well, the first play I ever did was Mr. Roberts uh, in Winnipeg, the Manitoba mm-hmm. Theater Center. Um, and it was just, I was introduced there and I did that and then I did another play and, and, a, and, a, and then a musical and then I was invited to the Stratford Festival in Ontario. And I went there and, and saw what the classics were and came back and said to John Hirsch, who was my mentor and, and ran, was the artistic director of uh, the Manitoba Theater Center. Um, I said, that's what I want to do. I want to do the classics. And he said to me, well, you're taking the high road. But he said, you must promise me one thing. Don't give up the musical. He said, because there's not many actors that I know of that can do what you can do. And I looked at it, I thought, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, I thought everybody did that. And he said, no, it's, it's a rarity in my experience to see somebody who's able to do a musical comedy and, and be as good an actor as you are. And he said, that's a rarity, so come at that. <laughs> so I did. And Hal Prince would see that same thing in you, you know, about a decade later, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. On that note, thank you for coming down. Yes, Pleasure. thank you so much, and we look forward Thanks, to seeing guys. your show. Thanks very much. Whether watching how they made a man.
Rob here with You May Be Wondering. We just finished our conversation with Len Cariou, and to be honest, I'm still pinching myself. Jamie can attest. Len has had an amazing career, full of highlights, uh, but to me, he will always be Sweeney Todd. Across a body of work that revolutionized musical theater and is chock full of brilliance, I personally consider the 1979 musical Sweeney Todd to be composer and lyricist Stephen Sondheim's masterpiece. You may be wondering about the origin of this rather unique, blood-curdling musical. Well... The character of Sweeney Todd, a barber who kills his customers and partners with a baker who turns their bodies into meat pies, dates back to a story titled The String of Pearls, A Romance, which was first published as an 18-part Penny Dreadful from 1846 to 1847, with disputed authorship, and then turned into an 1850 novel entitled The Barber of Fleet Street, A Domestic Romance. The story itself is the stuff of urban legend predating its commitment to paper, and while claims that Sweeney Todd was based on a real person stem back to the story's first publication, no researcher has ever found such evidence, and that was more likely a marketing gimmick. The story, though, has endured. Almost immediately after its first publication in 1847, it was made into a stage play. With many different versions written over the ensuing 130-plus years or so, Sweeney Todd rarely played London, but became a mainstay of provincial theater across England, transfixing audiences with its melodrama and grisly mood. In 1973, British playwright Christopher Bond wrote a new play inspired by the popular lore, entitled Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, in which the titular character was given a new, more sympathetic backstory. A barber named Benjamin Barker, he is wrongly convicted of a crime and sent to a penal colony in Australia, during which time the corrupt Judge Turpin rapes his young wife and adopts his daughter Joanna. Upon Barker's return to London, he assumes the identity of Sweeney Todd and launches his revenge on Turpin, aided by the devilish Mrs. Lovett, only to be consumed by his own monomaniacal rage in the end. Bond's adaptation, written partly in verse, gave the story more structure and its characters more motivation, elevating a mere melodrama to tragic heights and transforming the material from its roots in pulp fiction into a bona fide legend. Performed at the Stratford East Theatre in London, the production had a festive flair with a piano player in the lobby and beer and meat pies sold as cheeky concessions. In 1974, while Stephen Sondheim was in London rehearsing a revival of Gypsy with Angela Lansbury, on a whim, he happened to catch a performance of the play on a free evening and was immediately struck by its musical potential. As luck would have it, talks were already in progress for adding songs into the play and presenting it in New York. So Sondheim teamed up with the producers who had optioned the material and began work on turning Bond's play into a full-fledged musical. Other projects came first, though, and Sondheim wouldn't begin work on Sweeney in earnest until 1977, by then teaming up with British playwright Hugh Wheeler to write the book, most of which would be used as grist for Sondheim to then musicalize. In the end, the show is almost entirely scored, with only a few spoken scenes, the closest Sondheim has ever come to writing an opera. He considers it a horror movie masquerading as a dark operetta, since his first inspiration was the haunting and hair-raising scores of Bernard Herrmann, a film composer perhaps best known for his collaborations with Alfred Hitchcock. Few horror stories have ever been successfully translated to the stage as musicals. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that only Sweeney Todd has achieved this feat, a credit to the writers and also the vision of director Hal Prince. While his grand production of the piece would become one of his most iconic, Prince was initially bewildered and uninterested in the piece, turned off by its melodrama and unsure how to stage it. He was gradually persuaded by the story's emphasis on revenge, and his aha moment for his vision, came when he realized that so much of the story was driven by the rigid class divisions of Victorian England and the brutal machinations of the industrial age on the individual spirit. What was once thought of as an intimate story played close to the audience as it was in London and conceived as an immersive experience like Prince's Candide became an epic, almost operatic musical, with set designer Eugene Lee acquiring an actual Rhode Island iron foundry and reconstructing it on stage as a literal factory. Despite some critical acclaim and eight Tony Awards, that original production was actually a commercial flop, as was the London production and the national tour. But much like the folklore of Sweeney Todd has endured, so has Sondheim and Wheeler's masterpiece. Ironically, the longest-running production ever was the immersive Tooting Arts Club iteration that more closely resembled the atmosphere of Bond's 1973 production and Sondheim's original concept. It began in London in 2014, then played off-Broadway from February 2017 to August 2018 in the 130-seat Greenwich House downtown, itself remade as a model of a pie shop, complete with hot pies available for order. 
The power of Sweeney Todd's endurance lies in the universal hook of its revenge cycle. As Sondheim wrote in the chilling final sequence, the more he bleeds, the more he lives. He never forgets and he never forgives. Perhaps today you gave a nod to Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. Attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. That's our show. Thanks for listening. You can hear us anytime on iTunes. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of OM Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. And a very special thank you to Orso. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.